0: I'm Pastor Daniel, welcome to Resurrection Church. Happy five-year anniversary. I want to read you this verse from uh, Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and then explain a little bit about what we're going to do today. It says this, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I wrote in the margins of my Bible years ago when I read this verse that so much of worship is just giving God credit for the things he's already done. And just reveling in, enjoying God and his goodness. Today, uh, we're celebrating uh, five years as a church, as Resurrection Church, I realized that, uh, I was thinking about this today that I've now been part of resurrection church longer than I was part of Hinchpoint church, which was one of the two churches that merged to create resurrection church. So I'm now officially longer or, or, or more vested in resurrection church in terms of the amount of time that I've, I've been here and part of the body of Christ here at resurrection church than the church that, uh, was, was part of this merger. And so if you're, if you were here Five years ago, the day we all voted at our two churches to merge. Will you raise your hands if you were here five years ago? Look at that. A lot of you still here. Way to hang on. Amen? For those of you that have come more recently, believe it or not, not all of this was easy. There have been a couple speed bumps in the path. Remember... uh, this started about five and a half years ago when some elders from a church called Calvary uh, came and uh, met with some of the pastors over at a church called Hinge Point, and they had been looking for a lead pastor for about two years. And um, like all good ideas, uh, one of the elders' wives had an idea, which is where most good ideas come from—elder wives. Say, <laughs> so what? what well, there's this young church downtown that is uh, really reaching the next generation. Why don't we just talk to them about merging? So they came, they met with us. Uh, We thought that they were meeting with us. We went to lunch. We we thought we were going to lunch to talk about strategies for helping them reach the next generation. We didn't know that strategy was that they wanted to merge with us. Uh, we, We had the conversation. We had a good lunch. We left, looked at each other and we're like, absolutely not. There's no way we're doing this. Because at the time, our church was about, the average age at Hinchwin was about 28 years old. The average age at Calvary was about 58 years old. What could go wrong? (laughs) So uh, for us, it was absolutely not. We had another meeting where we were going to graciously explain that we didn't essentially want to do this. And then they asked the most dangerous question that you can ever be asked, which you should be very careful when you answer anyone that ever asks you to do this. I'm just, this is wisdom. You can take this little nugget and tuck it away in your pocket for later. If someone asks you, will you pray about this? Be careful. So we uh, agreed that we would pray about this. We went away, prayed about it over the course of a month and realized uh, God was leading us down this path. We had no idea what this was gonna look like. and we moved forward. And over the course of the next six months, uh, we moved into uh, working with the, the teams in the church, and we ended up voting in January, five years ago, to merge our churches together and become Resurrection Church. Since then, it's been super easy, barely at inconvenience. It's actually been uh, in, in very difficult. It's been very difficult. In fact, uh, I, I believe that Right before we even merged, um, I had a I had a real health scare. Uh, I woke up. I had a, a blood that was uh, pooling up in my bladder, and I had to go into the ER for a couple days. And uh, I remember at one point it was the it was actually the day that the Calvary elders were meeting separately to decide to move forward with uh, pursuing a merger and taking it to the congregation. And, uh, I remember being in the ER, finding out that they had said, yes, we should, we, we also believe convictionally we should move forward. Being in a hospital bed, a hospital gown with a catheter. And I was in such pain. I couldn't stay on the bed. So I was laying on the floor of the hospital room when I got this news, we were going to move forward. I remember God saying, Hey, this is going to be really hard. It's going to be this hard. And I remember going, if if you're telling us to do it, we're going to do it. Even if it's hard. It was really hard. Amen? It's been really hard. Now, we also didn't know there was going to be this thing in the middle called COVID. You've probably heard of it. Yes? And so uh, we've had a lot of of, uh, twists and turns and changes as God has uh, led this church and changed this church and transformed this church, but I want to just remind you of a few things that it's very easy to forget. If there's anything that we know about human nature, about the sinful nature of humans and humanity, it is that we are very forgetful, ungrateful people. Amen? In the last five years, uh, we, if you've been here, we have seen countless men and women changed and saved by God. We lost count how many people God has saved, redeemed, and brought to him. We've lost count of the hundreds and hundreds of baptisms. We have seen family after family and marriage after marriage reconciled and restored because of God's goodness and his greatness. We have seen addictions broken. We have seen families reconciled. We have seen God work miracle after miracle after miracle through a very messy church and very messy people. And it is worthy of honor and praise to God because that is what his church is here to do. And God has done that. He's used us in our perfect and messiness uh, and he's done those things. And so today we want to do two things. We want to look back at the last five years, and we're going to look at some stories and some testimonies from some people that have been impacted as they've been part of the body of Christ here. And we want to look forward. And so uh, we met as elders back in the fall. We knew that we needed to do some planning. And so we wanted to get together and do a, a retreat, go out of town and just spend a few days really working on where God was leading Resurrection Church over the next few years. And so we did a, about a month's worth of prep work, or about three weeks of prep work, where we we sent out these different... Questions to consider and to pray over and to ask for feedback. And so the elders are all kind of praying over stuff and, and writing in journals and really reflecting on where God was leading us. Uh, we all went out of town. We, we we get to our first session in our retreat. We pull out all of our notes that we've been working on for three weeks and we start with, this isn't the right question. So wonderful feeling as a planner to start over and we did. So what we did Uh, Elder after elder convictionally came and said, our core values don't match the heart of our church anymore. They just don't. They don't describe who God has transformed this church to be. They're just not accurate. They're not bad. They're not negative. They're just not us. And we need to change them. That was not what I was prepared to do at the retreat. I had an agenda. I had it all anyways. Have you ever noticed God doesn't particularly care about your agenda? You never notice that? It's really weird. Like every time I tell them, God, this is clearly not on my, yeah, anyways, it doesn't go well. So we pulled out the white pad and the markers and we started working and we worked all weekend. In fact, I took so many notes. I have a picture of this. I brought them all back. I stuck them all up on my, one of my whiteboards in my office. And we just started working through the heart of resurrection church what God had done in us and through us who are the leadership team, what we'd observed through the congregation over the course of the past five years to reach a point of conviction of five things that we're gonna cover today. We're gonna go through each one of them. And uh, our elders are going to come up and talk you through some of that and so that uh, we can share some of that with you. And, and you can confirm the convictions that we all share and, have, and receive from you in feedback. And when you leave today, we're actually going to let you leave with a, a handout that actually walks through this in great detail, it has about 60 Bible references or so of, of things that the, the Lord has been doing and put on our heart. And we believe reflects the heart of Resurrection Church. So to get started, I'm gonna call uh, Pastor Mark up here, and we're gonna work our way through this, and then in between, we're gonna uh, look at some testimonies and some stories of some people. Hey, Pastor Mark, how are you doing? I'm well.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: I am well. I asked for a booster seat when I sit next to Mark. I didn't get it. Note to production, I'm a little short. All right.
1: Better than when we stand side by side.
0: That's true. Yeah, I got to look at the positive side of this. Yes. Huh. Anyhow. <laughs> the way we've, we structured uh, this, this, this heart of Resurrection Church, this statement that we worked on, is a, kind of an introductory statement. Yep. And then four very specific descriptors of that statement. And so I'm going to start with the, the beginning. Um, and hopefully I have it up on the screen here. You can read this. It says this. It says, our goal, this is our Resurrection Church goal, our goal is to worship God and work Faithfully at the things Jesus left for us to do, becoming more like him in the process. As a church, we believe that doing this together will produce the following things, which is the other four statements, that we call gospel culture. Gospel culture, which you've preached on, actually. Yes. yes. Uh so here's what I want to start with. Why is this idea of 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 worshiping God and working faithfully at these things and creating gospel culture? Why is this a conviction of the elders? Why is this important?
1: I was thinking about that uh, when I was working on what I needed to say, and it reminded me, I had a friend um, several years ago. He taught his three-year-old daughter um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it goes like this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Yeah. What is the chief end of man? And then the response is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So imagine a little three-year-old girl saying that cutest thing ever, cutest thing ever. So I was thinking of that. I was like, oh, that's kind of what you're asking me here. What is the chief end of our church? And, and that is to worship God and to follow his commands. And so that's kind of what I was thinking through as, as you know, the, the answer to that question of, you know, why is this important? Well, it, it calls out what God has called us to do, like the, the, the main point of what God has called us to do.
0: I mean, the greatest commandment Jesus would say is to love God with all that we are, with everything. Yeah. Just to, just to you don't ever see anyone in the Bible uh, as Jesus interacts with people that receive salvation and don't have this growing sense of just how amazing God is. Yeah. And so as a church, we wanna grow in this. We wanna grow in this amazement. Of God. Of who we serve. Now, uh, we're using a term here called gospel culture, and that's a, a term you, you preached a sermon on, and it's something that we, we really ran into in a podcast we were listening to yeah. over the course of the last maybe two years, and um, it's, it struck a chord with you and I and the leadership team and then the elders and our, and our group leaders and such. Why is uh, you know, producing gospel culture or being a church that, that lives out gospel culture important to you personally?
1: it helps remind me well as a christian as a citizen of heaven i have responsibilities Amen. we all have responsibilities Amen. and when when we talk about living a gospel centered life or having a gospel culture it's for me it's that constant reminder that it's not about me right now <laughs> it's about What has God called me to do? Right, you know, and the same thing for our church. What has God called our church to do? Not, not what does Pastor Mark want our church to do? Because, good grief, we'd have deviled eggs every week, I think. But, uh, (laughs) but, but it's what has God called us to do. And, and for me, you know, I, I, I have this tendency of. You know, just want to run ahead with what I think, what I think what i think and and without this gospel culture of slowing me down to say to get with God to understand where God is, for me to to slow down and spend time in his word and spend time in prayer with him so that I know what is God telling me to do what 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 has the Bible commanded me to do
0: and, and Gospel is one of those words the Bible uses in a lot of different ways, yeah. Uh, you know, Paul will use the gospel to explain the process of salvation and Jesus dying for us. But then you go to Philippians 1 and Paul will use the term gospel to describe a whole different series of things. He'll use the term gospel as uh, a term to talk about how the church's responsibility is to advance the gospel, yeah. that we partner in the gospel, that we defend the gospel, that we live the gospel. He uses it in these different ways, and you go, man, this word means a lot of different things. Yeah, it does. It does. What, what would it look like for Resurrection Church to, to own and convictionally own this value of, of if we each were individually attempting to... Uh, become more faithful worshipers and, and live out gospel culture? What would a church filled with people living out gospel culture look like?
1: Yeah, it took me a long time to try to think through of like, you know, so many possibilities or well, what what is it going to look like? And I was pondering, I was praying and I came up with a really short answer for that. Actually, it's love. You know, Love for people far from God, love for people that are near to us, love for people that are different from us, all for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the thing that I think if we saw everyone in the church living this out, we would be known by
0: our love. Yeah, I I, I would agree. In fact, I think oftentimes we we make this mistake of thinking um, that you know if we have the right doctrinal statement on our website you know if we have the right theology then we we we've made it but in reality when you look at how jesus worked with people it always started on the inside um, Ray Ortland Jr. in the podcast we're referencing mentioned this idea of, of a church having an actual gospel culture. And his example that he used, the practical example, was that if, if you have a person in your church that really has a failure in life, maybe a moral failure or a mess up, and they sort of stop showing up. And we probably all experienced that where, you know, there's someone around, we just haven't seen them in a while. And it's because something devastating happened in their life. We, we have this misconception that it's their fault that they, they must just misunderstand the, the church to not come back, you know, in, during a failure. Like, they don't understand the gospel. And his point was actually, it means that you're, you don't yet, you're not yet there, your church isn't yet living out enough of a gospel culture for them to feel safe to come back in failure and mess. Amen. And, and, and I think that's when I think of what it would have looked like for our whole church to begin to really live out the gospel. So we love each other so well that someone knows that in the midst of the worst failure in their life, they can walk back in those doors and people put their arms around them, just like the prodigal son had his dad run down the, the street after him when he was far away and go, we love you. We will walk through your mess with you.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not good enough to have the right intentions, right? You know, like, like, I feel like God's telling me I need to go and accomplish something. So therefore I set off and nothing's going to slow me down and I'm going to go accomplish that. And I'm going to run over 27 people on the way, (laughs) you know, like, like that's not actually what God called me to do. You know, it's that heart of wanting to accomplish what he's called me to do, but in, in a way that, that mimics what Jesus would have done along the way. Right? Like it's this love for everybody around us, I mean, we live in a broken world, yeah. and we say we want to be a place for the broken, for the lost, but then we don 't really like messy people right exactly mm. but yeah. but do we really love that? Do we really want to open our arms? I mean my gosh i 'm a messy person right. you know, and, and do I need to come in and hide my messiness from people, or can I come in and just be broken and be real and hug somebody and tear up because I'm a mess. Right.
0: Thank you. Yes, Thank sir. You. All right. So, to produce as a church, to to live out, become greater worshipers, and live out, uh, produce this gospel culture in our church. We believe there are four things uh, that our church needs to really own and begin to live out, uh, and and we'll we have a one word descriptor for each of these. But we're going to explain them, and and again, the document we'll hand out at the uh, end of service. We'll really go through these with a lot of biblical references. This is Elder Nathan. Good morning, beautiful people. Uh, uh, Nathan and I have been friends now for a while. We've been small group members together. We've been in mentorship. We've been at a lot of early morning breakfasts, um, and we're elders together. Daniel has a different
2: definition of early morning, too. So when you think early morning, think really early morning breakfast. Amen.
0: Amen. Great things happen early in the morning over a cup of coffee and a Bible. All right. Uh, to live this out, the first value that we have that we want to talk about is the value of identity. And our statement says this, believers are God's treasured possessions, sons and daughters of the king. We must realize this new identity by living dynamic, spirit-led lives with entirely new priorities and standards. Why do we care about that? Why do the elder? why, why was that a conviction point up at the retreat? So... We want
2: you to be the most dynamic, missional people in the world, but if your good works are the fruit of the Christian life, then your identity, who you believe you are in Christ and who you see God as, that's the root Amen. of the tree. Everything else has to flow from that root. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, constantly rebuked people who had all of the outward signs of a righteous life, people who tithed mint and dill and cumin, um, because their hearts didn't match the fruit that they were bearing. They looked good on the outside, but inside they were dead. Mm. They looked like people who were righteous, but inside they were wicked and really against God in their desires and affections. But on the other hand, Jesus welcomed people who were way, way messy, way worse than uh, you and I might feel sometimes, prostitutes, tax collectors, soldiers, the immoral, like everybody from every walk of life who came to Jesus with a humble heart, and a desire to know God's kingdom, to know God's righteousness. He welcomed them with open arms, regardless of what the outside appearance of their life was. And so Jesus, he teaches us through that example that he's really interested in the inner person of your heart. Mm. Uh, We can have the best, most beautiful, righteous-looking life, the most moral, upright life in the world, but if we aren't doing it from a heart that truly loves God, truly is uh, celebrating this this gospel that Jesus has called us sons and daughters of the king, he's made us new creations, Mm -hmm. that we have an eternal inheritance, then we're just noisy gongs and clanging cymbals to the ears of a God who loves mercy more than sacrifice, and who values love more than whole burnt offerings. Mm. So we have to start with the inner
0: person of the heart. I love the idea of this, the idea of identity in Christ being the tree or the root uh, that the fruit comes from, because the Pharisees got it backwards, right? They would take a dead tree, and they'd paint the leaves green, and they'd paint the fruit red, and they'd say, it they must be alive, but it, but it was all dead. Uh, Jesus would call it white, whitewashed tombs. We start here because to produce a, a gospel identity, or a gospel culture in our church, we have to recognize the fact that it, everything about uh, living as a Christian is, is about identity in Christ, about being a new creation. And, and there's this misconception that Christian life is boring. That's an, that's an Americanized thing. Christian life is wild and dynamic because it's spirit-led, and you don't know where the spirit's going to go. In fact, uh, ancient uh, Christian philosophers would call it the wild goose chase, trying to chase the Holy Spirit and be sensitive to him, and he's going to lead you to crazy places. He's led you to crazy places.
2: Yeah, so I came to Christ about 10 years ago from a secular humanist background, and I had no value system that had anything to do with the Bible. Like, my, my entire worldview was basically if you just read a book on like modern woke millennials, like, that was probably my, my value statement and convictions. And so, coming to a 2,000 year old book about the nature of the true and living God and his plan and, and story that he was writing in creation. It was a little bit of a, a revelation. Like It was pretty earth-shattering to um, compare my values in life to this book and realize that like, not only did I not have a lot of common ground with it, we were in direct conflict. My, what I wanted wasn't just a different story than God's. It was against God's story. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of my growth over the last decade has just been reading God's Word, realizing that it was very different than what I thought or believed and deciding to test God by just living it out, by seeking to obey and believe what God said in his word. And uh, that's easier to do when God says, do not murder, right? (laughs) It's a lot harder to do when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a lot harder to do when he says um, that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Um, And it's, it's also, if we're honest, it's hard to believe that we really are forgiven. It's hard to believe that we really are sons and daughters of the King. It's hard to believe that we really are these new creations destined for an eternal inheritance that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. It's hard to believe that we can serve a God this good, this kind. But all of the growth of my life has been believing that that's true. And to be honest today, I'm living a very different life than I would have planned for, hoped for, expected. I wanted to go be a tech CEO. I want to be a big shot. I wanted to live in a big city. And get famous through my own efforts and inventions. I'm living a a much quieter life in some respects than I originally planned. But I'm also doing uh, things more, living more radically, uh, more intimately in relationship, more generous in the intention of my heart. And to be honest, I feel richer than the richest man in the whole world. Like, I wouldn't trade positions with Elon Musk or Bill Gates, not for everything that they have and more. Because the riches that you and I have in Jesus Christ make the richest man in Babylon look like a pauper by comparison. Uh, you, you have been blessed beyond imagining. And when we recognize that and live that out, man, it'll change everything about our life.
0: And we'll do some crazy things sometimes. What would it look like if the, the church, each, you know, each individual that's part of the, the body here, begin to recognize that and sort of live radically, like realize wow, God's leading me somewhere. I'm just gonna chase after and be obedient to God. What would, it, what would it then look like corporately to be in a church like that?
2: I think when we live out our identity as sons and daughters of the King, as ambassadors with real spiritual authority in Jesus Christ, as people with a mission that goes beyond the current moment, the, the earthly kingdoms that we look to build, man, it would get a little scary here in the church because um, the people that we know that we walk with who walk with God they can actually be kind of hard to corral, kind of hard to control, kind of hard to put into a lane and into a program because like Daniel said, sometimes following the spirit is more like a wild goose chase than it is like following a 10-step plan to a better Christian life. And so I think things would be a little crazier around here. And we might find that a lot of the programs and policies and practices that we have on paper, they're just not really relevant anymore because instead of those things being tools that we used to spur you on, they would just hold you back from following the leading of the spirit in your life. And instead of us having to have, um, these things that help you to go take steps into ministry, man, you would just be looking for every opportunity in your own life to go do that ministry yourself because you and I, we have the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling within mm-hmm. us, this eternal, holy, um, really unimaginable power that lives in my heart. And that, that has to change everything about my life. Right. And if it hasn't, if you don't see that, um, man, it's, it's a question of whether we've surrendered our life to Christ, whether our hearts really have been transformed. Um, because everyone has the power to live this dynamic, spirit-led life in Jesus Christ. And when we do, the world's gonna notice our church will be mature and healthy and uh, man, you're gonna feel like you're flying by the seat of your pants half the time because God's plans for you are bigger and better than your own, I not He
0: doesn't always follow my agenda. No, no. No, it's just really weird. He
2: actually, I think he has a really very significant agenda. It's just very different than our own he and is. very often requires a lot more risk and um, uh, sensitivity than we
0: originally planned on. He does, thank you. Yeah. All right, guys, will you take a moment and watch this story?
3: Hi, my name is Carol Pardue Scott. God is teaching me to be thankful in all things. Last summer I became very depressed and anxious with feelings of failure. Very difficult circumstances were permeating through my family. I drove myself into a state of anxiety by rehearsing over and over in my mind what I could say to help their pain. I even have gone back 30 years reminding myself of the suffering my family went through when husband father and breadwinner became a quadriplegic due to a broken neck first i learned i was looking too much at my circumstances i had turned my eyes off of god my father second be thankful and all things kept coming to mind one day i named in my journal each situation and thanked god for it releasing it that day i noticed a spring in my step and a strange sense of freedom and peace it is because god is growing me deeper in relationship with him that i was able to be thankful
0: This is Pastor Steve, our missions pastor, one of our lead pastors. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. Um, the second value, uh, as we really met and talked about where God is leading our church to produce this gospel culture and live this out in our church, the verse is identity, so so really wrapping our lives and our Uh, our minds really around uh, this identity in Christ and the new priority of living a spirit-led life. The second is that we will become urgent to grow. And so this statement that we wrote for growth is this. We want to be urgent to grow, becoming more like Christ in gentleness and love while growing deeper in our study of and obedience to God. Uh, Why is this something that the, the elders valued had such conviction about at the retreat?
4: Well, Pastor Daniel, thank you for asking me this question. Um, my answer is is rather divergent; it goes all over. And I, I, as I'm thinking about this, and I've been processing this even up to this moment, I can remember the moment, the day, literally 45 plus years ago, that I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and the urgency that was upon me at that time. I was just driven to do to find out more and more about this. This this faith that I had adopted as mine, and I went to the pastor of the church that I was at, and I said to him, "I just want to know more. Uh, you know, I'm excited. I want to do more. I want to do all these things, and I'll, I want to be a part of, of God's kingdom work. And do you know what his answer to me was? Settle down, boy. That'll go away. <laughs> oh, wow. And I said, "No, sir. It won't. And I'm glad to say, it, it has. hasn't." Uh, and so, but I've learned in time that urgency is important that we do, we experience urgency in community. In, in community, together we, we have synergy. And as we grow together, as we dig into God's word and apply it to our lives, we become one together. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, Christ uh, is the bride of the church, or is the groom of the church. We're the bride. And we become one with him. I mean, wrap your mind around that. We can be one with him, just like in marriage, how husband and wife become one in Christ. Mm-hmm. We as a church together, as we work and are urgent about growing spiritually and doing the things God calls good, we become one with him. Wow, it
0: doesn't get much better than that. It, one of the things that we really wanted to call out, and it had been, um, you know, I think part of the, the story for many of us uh, in the elder room, is of all the different fruit of the spirit that we read in Galatians, Uh, that that are produced as the Holy Spirit does work in us, the the one we really wanted to work on was gentleness. Hmm. And um, we talked a lot about gentleness, specifically because I think um, we see it lacking in the American church. We we see sort of this idea that because we have the truth, because we have the answer, um, instead of being gentle in the process, we end up taking the answer and and just running around and, and beating people over the head with the answer. Um, what is it that you specifically are? are hmm. Tell me your story when it comes to this conviction of, of growing in gentleness. Wow,
4: you know I resonate with what Pastor Mark said earlier when he talked about running over people to get to the job. Uh, that's how I interpreted what he was saying, and that—that that was me. If you know me, that—that uh, that was, uh, you know, if I had a slogan, it's just do it, and you know, get out of my way. I'm doing it. We're, we're going to go get God's work done, and. Um, I've learned from being the old guy in the room. Uh, it's good to listen at times, you know. Mm. I love my, uh, my uh, privilege of getting to know you better, get to know Mark better, and, and Pastor uh, Nathan, uh, the young guy in the room, uh, and, and everybody else as we as a team uh, in leadership, it's good to get to know the personalities and get to know Jesus better. Mm. Because when we know his body when we, we get to know all the aspects of it, we become more like him. And um, gentleness, and you referenced this podcast from, um, that we've been listening to over the years, last couple of years, and I've, I've listened to it many times and just kind of soaked it in in the sense that I really love resting in the mindset of gentleness. Mm. I don't have to be right every time. I don't have to run hard. I can relax. I can sit back and enjoy time with each other, with our, my group, uh, with my wife, with my fellow co-workers and co-laborers. It, it just, it's just a new life for me. you know. Like I said, uh, I, you know when I got right out of high school, I joined the military, went to war, and there's nothing gentle about that. And so I developed that same work ethic, just hard, hard, hard. In, my, in these older years that I am at, um, you know, I, I don't think you've heard me say that. Uh, I'm afraid my shelf life is expiring, uh, but it, but I think more it's just becoming chill, gentle, enjoying the moment, enjoying the mission we have about us, and encouraging the younger folks to uh, to get excited about this. And there's one thing I've never lost, and that's excitement. Mm-hmm. Because uh, right now I'm thinking about well, I need to get over to. You know, southern Mexico, out back to Beirut. Oh, come on. Hey, hey, you want to go back with me? Let's go back
0: to Beirut. Uh, you know, I love those things. And so, of all the words that, uh, and ways that Jesus could describe his own heart when he had an opportunity to, uh, he, could, he could have described patience, he could have described joy. He, could, he, he, he chose gentle as the word to describe himself. He said, Come to me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And, and, and the reason we call it out in this value when it comes to growth, because there are many ways we need to grow. We need to grow in our theology and our doctrine and in our, in our knowledge of God. We need to grow in those days. We need to deepen our, our relationship with the Lord. But we, if, if we here in this culture in 2023 believe that we truly have the answer that will save the world, the, the application of that answer is Gentleness. It it is the thing that takes off the edge of the truth. You can't lose the truth, but it must be applied with gentleness. And uh, Jesus did such a good job of that. And, and, And we in America have done such a bad job of that. We've either been gentle and not wanted to say the truth and been passive about it, or we've been aggressive and we wanted to hit people over the head with the truth and not be gentle about it. Yet Jesus was somehow both and we're trying to live in that tension, what would it look like if our church individually began to grow in gentleness all across the pews and all across the body of Christ so that we were a church known for growing in our depth of doctrine and our gentleness of application?
4: Wow. You know, Pastor Daniel, I, um, as you know, and many know that I serve as a trauma chaplain at Kern Medical, and part of the responsibility of that is that I'm on the palliative care team, and I do rounds with the palliative care team, the doctors and such, and one of the things after we've talked to patients that are um, pretty much at end of life and things going on, you know, uh, and doctor talks about, you know, solutions and uh, how we could best relieve pain and comfort them, and he turns the conversation over to me and he says... Introduces me as a chaplain, and is there anything that you would like the chaplain to pray for? And um, what a privilege that is! That you know, in a in a community that's uh, disenfranchised, a community that's a lot of them are um, uh, from the lower realms of society, economically and uh, all other areas. That that I get the privilege of bringing what we just talked about, because I always bring. My prayer is a gospel prayer, but with gentleness and with uh, and I'm not only praying with that individual and praying for them, their condition, their family, but I'm also praying for the staff that's serving them, right. which means I'm praying for a lot of different types of people and belief systems. And what would it be like? if the fruit of that which i will never know till the other side once i finally do wake up in heaven which i so desire to do at some point when god's ready but what would it look like if all those people in that equation you know from every aspect of society understood that accepted that and then practiced that uh just like this congregation who we're not quite as diverse as that, but we could be. If, what would it look like if everybody accepted that as their goal? In other words, that gentleness approach mm. to life and the gospel approach. Because we're not talking about just chilling, oh yeah, cool, we're gentle. No, we're talking about gentleness for gospel sake. Right. What, do we, what would it look like? I really do believe it'd look a lot like the resurrection.
0: Yeah. So. I, I think if if we, if you and I as as believers, believe that we've been commissioned to share the gospel, the application of sharing that truth is gentleness. And and it, mm-hmm. in my picture of what it would look like if this church began to grow, not only in its depth of knowledge but in its gentleness of application, it would be so attractive that you, you know you'd have a line at the door of people that wanted to get in and understand what type of power could change people's hearts to love others that well. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Thank you. Take a moment and watch this testimony with
3: me. Hey, my name is Dig McElney. One of the ways that I've seen the most growth within myself
5: here at Res is growth within the community. I moved here about three years ago. I only knew one person here at the church. I was able to go from my truck to the pew without really knowing anyone. Now, before I get out of the parking lot, I'm able to chat with a friend. One of my favorite parts is the life group that I'm a part of on Tuesday evenings. All day at work on Tuesday, I look forward to getting together with my friends. I can truly say from the bottom of my heart, it's been an absolute pleasure to be part of the res community. Thank you.
0: This is Elder Jeff. How are you doing?
5: Doing good, thank you. And
0: more importantly, how's the barbecue doing? It's uh,
5: probably being sliced right now, so we, you didn't we know have uh, a heater our- boxes to keep it warm, so it'll yeah. be good.
0: If you didn't know, you have a potluck after this. And the most important job is uh, the one that Ryan and Jeff have been working on, which is making sure the barbecue is
5: perfect. Yeah. The meat guys always get the glory. So they that's... do.
0: <laughs> it's also, I was I was telling him in first service, uh, his his grandson's probably going to forever associate the, the, the smell of smoked barbecue with grandpa, yeah. right? <laughs> which is really pretty phenomenal. So there's some nostalgia for him probably when he's yep. like 30 or 40. Um, so we've talked about... Uh, identity in Christ as being the root of this gospel culture. We've talked about this urgency to grow both in our knowledge, but also in our application through through gentleness and love. Uh, And our third is community. And uh, the statement says this, we want our church body to represent the same diversity in age, uh, cultures, and viewpoints as our city, but... Love each other, even in our differences, so genuinely that it is inexplicable apart from the power of Christ. Now, why were the elders so um, convinced that this this idea of uh, unity and diversity was important? Well, first of all,
5: one of the things, Pastor, that we really addressed, and I think we talk about in the extended version, is uh, doing life together. Yeah. So, as a church body as a community of Res Church, we were called to do life together um, through those difficult times, through those good
0: times. Are you always... saying that one hour on Sunday morning is probably not enough? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, just check.
5: <laughs> and we're here to point each other to Christ mm. and to the cross. And I, I think about the beauty of that is you're never alone. Right. You're not, your job isn't to go about this Christian life alone. We were put together as a, as a person to follow Christ, but also to be a part of Christ's church. And uh, so uh, doing life together um, is important to me because I got to see what it was like to step away from being a part of a church for a little bit. So my wife and I were involved in a church for a long time Mm -hmm. and some churches are messy, right? So we stepped out of being a part of a church for a bit. And God just worked on our hearts and said, no, you need to be a part of, a part of the body. There's no right. doubt. And then he said, no, you need to be a part of a group. <laughs> like, all right, God. No, you need to get involved. And God has continually worked on us, um, but he designed us to be a part of each other's life. Right. And, uh, and there's a lot of different people, ages, and as a church, we value a lot of bringing up the next generation, and so we try to mix in the younger folks with the older folks. Um, one of the things that I remember that was very important in my Christian walk was as a new believer, and I, I waited till I was 30 years old before I came to Christ, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone, <laughs> but God, uh, if he, he'll give you the hammer if you need it. So um, we can talk about that later, but... I met this group of men at the church we were going to that brought me into their Bible study, older men, and they helped me understand the Bible. I got to watch how they live. Um, they are a great example for me. Yeah. And I, as a church, that's what we try to do through our discipling, mentoring, and things like that. It's very important to us in our body. And then as I say the word body, I think about um, as Christ's body, it's a bunch of different parts. <laughs> right. And some of those parts are messier than others, and some of those are seem more functional, but every single part is very, very, very important. Yeah. And so as a body of Christ, we look at it like we should be seeing within our, our community here at Res Church a mix of all the people that we come across with in our path, in our neighborhood, in our city, uh, because those are the people that we want to feel at home in this community, that they feel loved, that they feel significant and valued, that they have a life that's worth saving and living for.
0: It's interesting you, you talk about life together because um, I think I think we noticed this uh, anecdotally, but we we saw it during COVID particularly, is when someone gets into some some real depression or um, they get into you know moral failures or or they feel far from god uh, inevitably the majority of the time they first were isolated from community and so we saw particularly during covid when people got isolated from community and all this devastation begins to happen in their family or in their life and you go of pressing in like where are you spending your time and who's speaking into your life and, and and who are you you talking to authentically and sharing these things with and who's pressing in when you're not really seeking the lord and they're like well i haven't really gone to the group in 9 weeks you know and you're going I can tell, yeah, I can tell, we can tell yeah. uh, what what is it what does it look like for you to, uh, to 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 grow in this community, to kind of do life with other people? What does it look like you personally?
5: Well, one thing that i I wrote down for me is I have to be intentional, and so um, i'm a really busy person generally, and I need to be intentional about making each person feel loved and special, spending that time, mm-hmm. that moment. Because how do we speak into each other's life unless we're intentional about stopping, hearing, listening, um, You know, it, taking time out of our, our life for them? I have to be intentional about not uh, judging. And I, I throw Pastor Daniel under the bus, but what I see in a, whether it's at church or at work is I'm a very good judger and maybe a lot of other people are too, but it's easy to look at someone or look at a situation and decide in our mind what that is before we really even know the full story or we know that person's heart. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've had a bare, barefoot pastor, we've got a pastor with a fancy mustache and shoes and, and uh, I always tell people, because I like to meet new people, it's like, before Get to, before you make any judgments, get to know the heart of these people. Then you'll love them. And so um, that's intentional. Uh, another thing about being intentional is to think good thoughts. Uh, Philippians 4 um, eight. whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. So as we function as a community, I want my first thoughts to be good thoughts and pure thoughts and trusting that Jesus is working in your life just like he's working in my life.
0: So what are the keys for you personally? And I would, I would reciprocate this and tell you, I I feel the same way. If you really want to grow in the community of Christ, you always start by giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. You assume the best about the other person. So in a situation where you could assume the best, you could assume the worst, or you could pick the middle. We always assume the best, right? In fact, sometimes I was, I had to do this uh, mandatory training uh, recently for this new California laws. Mm -hmm. And one of the lawyers said, one of the struggles that uh, church members have with doing this mandatory training and knowing when to like report abuse and stuff is that we get really good at giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, but we should, we we should lead with, with, man, you know what? I probably just misunderstood. I should go clarify versus... I bet they were talking about me behind my back. <laughs> about my mustache. Yeah. yeah. But,
5: <laughs> but that's being intentional. And, and a funny story is Pastor Daniel spoke at one of our God, Guns and Grub events. And a friend of mine was sitting behind him in the crowd before Pastor Daniel got up to speak. And he totally judged him. Like, who is this Yahoo here? He had his mohawk going and everything else. But then he gave, got up and, and delivered a heck of a, of a great gospel message. And my buddy had to go apologize to him afterwards. <laughs> And then, uh, I think the last thing for me is, um, God saved me for his purpose. Yeah. He could have left me in the pit, yeah. but he saved me for his kingdom and for his church, for his community. And this is where God has placed me. And so I have to remind myself that my resources aren't my own. My time isn't my own, that, um, the skills or gifts or talents that he has given me aren't my own. He's given it to build the church and build the kingdom. And so some of the things that I like to do is meet new people. So I like to help out with the, the greeting and meeting new guests and visitors. Um, some of the things I like to do is cook, yeah. barbecue. So what a great ministry to feed people and uh, give food where needed, um, So those those are just some examples. Uh, I like to encourage and pray for people. So I like to send out messages and Bible verses to people. And, you know, I'm working on discipling with a couple younger men, just like I was discipled and mentored before. So uh, what I found is that life is very joyful and satisfying when I'm walking and doing the things God designed for me to do versus me
0: trying to charge through life in the Jeff Palmbach fashion. Indeed. Thank you. Uh, so last question, you know, what would it look like if the whole church began to kind of live this out, giving each other the benefit of the doubt and, and not prejudging and enjoying the diversity? I, I do, I, guys, I don't know if you find it ironic, but I do find it ironic that, you know, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. would call, uh, he said, the most segregated hour of the week is 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I find it interesting that the Bible talks so much about the diversity of spiritual gifts and the diversity of people, and how the different parts of the body can be so different and yet so impactful and, and so necessary. Like, like Jeff, you matter to our church. What you do matters in our church. What you do matters in our leadership team. And if you weren't there, there would be a gap. There would be a, it would be a problem. We, we we read that in the Bible. And then you go look at most American churches, and they look the same, vote the same, smell the same, in the same socioeconomic status, and the same. I mean, like they're all, they're homogeneous little bubbles. And you're like, how do I align these two? Yeah. What would it look like if uh, if our church continued to grow to represent the the diversity around within a three mile radius of this? What would it look like if we were to, to to love people that way? What what would our what would our church look like? Well, Pastor Daniel, the thought
5: that came to mind for me was individually, we know that in Christ, we are accepted, we're secure, and we're significant, each and every one of us. So as a community, as a body, as we love each other that way through the love of Christ in us and through the Holy Spirit, if we love each other in the way that people know that they are accepted and they are secure and they are significant, uh, God's kingdom work is going to be done. Yeah, And it's, it, people want to be a part of that.
0: They do. In yeah. fact, um, thank you. We're going to look at a testimony real quick of someone who, who basically got into a group with a lot of people that were very different and it was a, a bit of a culture shock. So uh, watch this story with me if you would.
6: My name is JC and I've been attending Resurrection Church for three years. During the three years I've spent at Res, I've been regularly involved in a small group. My small group has been consistently filled with people who are different than me, whether it be age, race, or other individual beliefs. Because of those differences, it can sometimes be uncomfortable, but through that discomfort, God has moved in the lives of all of us in my group, especially in my own life. In my small group, I've been positively challenged to reflect on what I believe, why I believe it, and if those beliefs align with the Bible. Had I been in a small group with only people who look like me or think like me, I wouldn't have grown as a disciple at all. I would have been spending weekly meetings reaffirming my own choices, which aren't always the greatest, (laughs) rather than reflecting on them from a biblical viewpoint with the amazing different people God has placed in my life. My small group does an awesome job supporting each other too. We have created an atmosphere of openness and honesty. We share in each other's joys and brokenness. Life is messy, but we can and should bring that mess to God's people, not hide it and bear through it alone. One way my small group makes navigating differences run smoothly is by letting God's word be the authority on what we think or how we act, rather than our own individual preferences. We are all unique and we all have something to learn from each other. But ultimately, God is the authority. And when we band together under his rule, I have found that incredible things happen.
0: This is Elder Don, for those of you that don't know Elder Don. Elder Don was at the original lunch. Yes. We talked about merging at Logan's, which has since burned down. But we got a cracker barrel out of it. Well, we got a Cracker Barrel out of it. Not a bad thing. So potentially what you're saying is we have to burn something down to get something better? Sometimes. Okay. All right. Yeah.
7: Sometimes. I remember the first time I met you, Daniel, you were preaching at the downtown campus. Yep. And we we had a little chat afterwards, but uh, your preaching is just getting better every time (laughs) I hear you. Oh, it's a good thing. It was rough. Yeah. (laughs) It was good.
0: So we want to... Produces gospel culture. It, it, it starts with uh, it's rooted in this identity in Christ as right. a new creation. Uh, it becomes an urgency to grow in our in our knowledge of God and our our, our gentleness. Um, it moves into this community where believers really love each other, and then we're going to huddle up and wait for Jesus to come back. Right? All right. Amen. No, let's not. <laughs> yeah. Jesus only left us here for one reason. If if it was if it was simply to just hang out and have a good time, that's what we're doing in heaven. He left us here on mission. So our fourth value. Is impact, And it says this, we want to be known for vulnerably living out the gospel in everyday relationships to make a kingdom impact in our circles of influence, neighborhoods, workplaces, and families. Amen. Don, why do the elders have such a conviction about not huddling up and waiting yeah. for Jesus to come? Well,
7: we believe uh, this value is important for the whole church because impact is the catalyst, the agent of change for transformed lives. Yeah. It's putting it into action. And for kingdom work to happen, uh, we have to be intentional about uh, that impact within our culture, within our sphere of influence, our neighborhoods, yeah. our workplaces, and our families. Absolutely. That's, that's how that happens. And uh, we reach the ever-changing world with the never-changing gospel by living it out.
0: In some sense, we, we come in here to be encouraged, and then we go out there to share a message.
7: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Um, and if we only did one and not the other, it would be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you work in a very interesting environment. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's a natural inclination right now in America that Sunday is sacred, and then Monday through Saturday are secular, and what we're saying is everyday is sacred and you're on mission exactly now yeah. if if how do you, how do you personally live that out
7: it's about boldly living out the gospel in everyday relationships and along with encouraging the body of believers in corporate settings like this and in small groups but for personally for me it's That we have to be intentional about embracing all these values. And some of you are hearing it for the first time, but this identity, this growth, community impact, we have to live that out. And we have to, I know personally be able to, in a gentle way, in a respectful way, explain to people that don't know what that means and what i'm doing to try to live that out yeah in my own life yeah and all along being vulnerable living out the gospel
0: why does and vulnerability matter
7: it's huge it's huge it's uh it's attractional for people to see that somebody is willing to be vulnerable and that they don't have it all figured out and that they, you know there's probably some room for growth there right i,
0: I heard <laughs> someone say once that um people might be impressed by our competencies they might be impressed by something you do well by your talent but they connect with us in our weaknesses. Yeah. And, and so if we wanna connect with people to share the gospel, to share the hope of Christ, we're, we're generally not gonna connect with them where we're great um, by impressing them and then suddenly they're gonna be like, oh, wonderful, I wanna be great too. They, they actually connect and begin to really listen and relate to us when they see our struggle, our temptation, yeah. our failure, yeah. our our anxiety, the, the things that we're, we're struggling with and they're like, wow, yeah. that, I, I feel the same way. Yeah.
7: And if we're, if we're going to be intentional about that, uh, be ready. Because it, yeah. it's not an easy deal.
0: Right? <laughs> because
7: you'll be prevent, you know, presented with plenty of opportunities to make good choices or bad choices. But uh, I know for me that I have to be humble. I have to be in the word. Yeah. I have to be in community. The, the focus on community groups is amazing. The power of fellowship with other believers. And then also, it's really important that we just, uh, that we're willing to be held accountable for what we're doing. If, if you don't have that in your life, you can pretty much run rogue, and like you say, Monday through Saturday.
0: There's a survey, um, I'm trying to remember the group, there's a, a group that did a survey, uh, does it every year, and they asked anyone that basically checked the box that they were Christian in America, that responded if they had uh, invited someone to church or basically talked about a Jesus in the past 12 months, You guess how many Christians do that per year? It's two percent.
7: But if we took a survey of the number of people in here that were here because somebody invited them to
0: church, it's a very large number. Yeah, it's a very large number. Uh, Your story matters. What God is doing in your life matters. What He has revealed to you in His truth in the redemption uh, of your life matters. It matters to other people. And the only reason that Jesus left you here on Earth is to share this message. That's your reason for being here. Otherwise he would have ended it at the cross. We would have all gone to heaven and there wouldn't be any reason to stay. We're here to share a message. And oftentimes in American church, we find ourselves huddling together with Mm -hmm. other church members for the whole week. And, you know, and like, I don't want to talk to other people because it's a dark and scary world. And in reality, it is the mission that we're here for.
7: Yeah. It's amazing. uh, Looking back in the five years, talking to people, does it seem like five years? Those are interesting answers I hear, but, uh, I just know that uh, uh, there was a time in this process in the beginning where Daniel and I, were kind of hard-headed, so we'd be like, <laughs> not sure about that guy. I'm, he's a little skeptical. There's an agenda there. It's, it's amazing the work that God's done mm. in our lives, in the leadership of this church, and in the hearts of everybody here, that uh, they're, we're more willing to be transparent, vulnerable, and trusting, and realizing that the, we need to get unified in, in the goal of the
0: gospel. Yeah. What would it look like if uh, the whole church began to really live out this idea that, that hey, we, we want to impact our neighborhoods, we want to impact our neighbors, we want to impact our workplaces? What, what, would, what would it look like here?
7: Well, I think, I think this side of heaven, we're never really going to know yeah. the impact, the full impact, of a whole church living out these values. Uh, But I see lives being changed. I see this gospel culture we talked about earlier. I see uh, relationships restored. I see people loving one another. I see them loving God in worship. I see them reaching out to the lost. And I see us making disciples who make disciples who are making disciples of all nations? Yeah, through
0: Him. I, I think you you know today as we talk through some of these convictions, they're they're both things that we already observe that God's doing, and some things that I think we hope we we can become. But but what you'll probably notice is that uh, from a method standpoint, we, we, this is already something that is near and dear to our heart. One of the reasons we don't. Program something, you know, every day of the week or every night of the week at the church. Is we 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 want to make sure that we leave time in your schedule to invest in your community, your neighborhood, your neighbors. Your, like we really push small groups to meet in homes, not just on the church campus. We we want the gospel to go forth and spread into neighborhoods, not not be behind a fence somewhere or in a building somewhere. And uh, it's a big deal. Aldon, thank you. All right, thank you. All right. Uh, Do me a favor and uh, listen to this testimony briefly about making an impact for Christ.
8: My name is Richard, and I just wanted to share with you how living out the gospel in my day-to-day life has impacted others. Uh, The people that I've seen impacted by walking in love and grace and mercy and patience has been amazing. It's been uh, a multitude of people. I mean, from working in the schools and being able to witness to teachers and administrators and sometimes students, uh, you see the impact that you have on their lives when they know that you really do love them and you really do care. Uh, From the people at Walmart that I've witnessed to, walking up to strangers and just sharing uh, the gospel, sharing the good news uh, to people at the gym uh, just walking out in day-to-day life to family members, um, from walking with the Lord five years and finally seeing family members come to Jesus. it's amazing. And it's all from just walking out with that love and that grace and that mercy, being consistent in our walk, being good ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a privilege to share his gospel. We live in a lost and hurting world. And they need hope. They need good news. So that's how I go out there and I impact the people around me. And it's an awesome thing. Go out there and plant seeds. Somebody will bring, somebody will water them and God will bring the increase.
0: Uh, Church, these are the, the convictions of the elders of this church, we, we believe what we're describing to you today and what we wrote down in, in length in a document we're going to give you uh, after the service, it is the heart of Resurrection Church. We believe it, it aptly describes what God is calling us to do, the way he's calling us to do it. Now, there are uh, plenty of examples in the New Testament where elders of a church make a decision or they make a call or or they, they lead in different ways. But there are some times in the New Testament church where the whole body really affirms that the Holy Spirit is leading the church somewhere. In Acts 13 in Antioch, the Holy Spirit comes to the church, speaks to the church body while they're praying and fasting and tells them to take Paul and Barnabas and set them aside, set them apart for work that he has for them. And so we would like to do much the same thing with you. We'd like to ask you over the month of January to do something and pray through uh, these convictions that we have, read through them, read through the scripture, discuss them in your small group and or with your family and spend some time. Affirming this for us that that you also see and this resonates with you that the Spirit is leading and uh, leading the church this way. That that this is a description of the heart of the church because it's going to lead us to make plans and to choose methods and to uh, make action plans based on where we believe God is leading us. Because our job is not to make an agenda and hope that God fits in, it is to seek God and be sensitive to His Spirit. And then boldly be obedient in steps of faith as he leads us. And so when we're done with this service, uh, before you walk over and begin to eat delicious barbecue and some deviled eggs, we have a document that will walk through a detailed description of each of these values. And uh, all told, probably has about 60 Bible references. Here's what I ask you to commit to. Take that document. Sit down with your accountability group, your community group, your family, someone over the course of the next month. Open up your Bible. Read every one of those verses. Pray through those values. And then we're going to ask you uh, later in a week or two to affirm these values as being the heart of Resurrection Church. Of all the things that you could have for a New Year's resolution in 2023... To know and love God more deeply is the greatest of anything you could commit your life to. Jesus would tell us of the church, that's you and I, the church, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. God is going to change someone's life because of you. Say me. Not because of a pastor, not because of a staff member, because of you. God is going to save someone's life. He's going to redeem someone. He's going to reach them with the gospel through your life, through your living out and walking out the gospel in everyday life. You, Christ in you, is his redemption plan for the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for five years of Resurrection Church with all of its speed bumps, with all of its messiness, with all of the transformation and the work that you've done on my heart, on our hearts, God, as you have changed us and molded us to love one another and to love you more deeply. God, we commit our lives to you every day, every minute, all of our energy, all of our resources, all of our adoration is yours. And God, we ask that you use it for your glory. God, we ask that you grow this church, not for our glory, God, but for your kingdom impact. God, we thank you for the privilege of doing kingdom work and getting to watch you work miracles in people's lives. We thank you for what you're going to do in our small groups, what you're going to do in our families, what you're going to do in our neighborhoods, what you're going to do in our church in 2023 and beyond. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.